Welcome to the Not So Simple Life. Meet your hosts, Kylie Vanami and Sophie Longford. These two fashion models are talking all things wellness, beauty, fashion, and all the not so simple things in between. Let's get into it. What is up, you guys? Thank you for being here with us today. We are going to be joined very shortly by Dr. Kelly Colleen. She is an expert in all things plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery. So we are so excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. She gets into some really interesting topics. And one of those topics being boob jobs or breast augmentations. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about this with you, Kylie. Is this something you'd ever consider? Because like, I know so many girlfriends who have had it done. Like, I personally haven't, but I want to know your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, after recording this episode, she's so cool. She just is like so spitfire and just is so matter of fact about all of this and makes everything seem like as long as you're with a good doctor, like it's all good. And I don't know, I would totally get a boob job someday. I like have such a flat chest. Let's just get into the details here. I am like an A- when I'm like on the thinner end of my weight spectrum. And then if I'm like carrying a couple extra pounds, my boobs are more like a small B. I would ideally love to be like a C, like a small C, really small, just like perky and rounder and like a little bigger, fill out my tops a little bit. But in modeling, it's like so interesting. You can like do Sports Illustrated and like have the curves or you can like be on the runway and sometimes like bigger chests are not so great for the small ass sample sizes they make us wear on the runway. So I don't know. I feel like it's something that I would potentially do someday, but definitely not until I'm doing a little less modeling. What about you? I don't know. I'm so like torn because like both of us were definitely not on the voluptuous side of things, but it would be nice to just like experience boobs for a day. You know what I mean? But for modeling it, I just don't know how it would go down. Cause like, I know if you're going to do more commercial work and like lingerie shootings and stuff, like obviously having boobs is better, but then if you're going to do fashion weeks and stuff, like it can kind of screw it up for you if your boobs are too big, because then like Kylie said, you can't fit into the sample sizes. So I don't know. I don't think I would do it now. I don't actually mind my small boobs. Cause like, I feel like, I don't have to wear bras I can wear like little tank tops and they don't get in the way you can never yeah. fucking see them but I think if it got to the stage where like they started to drop a little bit like maybe in like 10 years time I wouldn't mind having a little lift and perking them up I feel like you know how in high school you like would wear a baby belly for a day and like take home a baby that no. cries like a fake baby well we did never that at my high that. school <laughs> I feel like I want that for boobs I want I-, I want like a trial I want to like <laughs> I want a bra that like makes me feel like a see like I think I want to be and I want to experience that I want to live that life for a day and figure out if this is something that I want or not yeah you just triggered like such an embarrassing memory for me like I remember when I was like 13 and I was so desperate to have boobs because like all the other girls were starting to grow them and I just was not catching up whatsoever I used to put like full-on oranges in my bra no like little clementines or like no like the full-on big oranges and also socks Socks were a good one too, but like, I, I, don't, I can't just believe I would do that. I hope no one ever noticed. Processing. Oh my God. <laughs> um, well, you know, kids do weird things. I definitely would put those chicken cutlets in my, you know, like the little sticky bras. Mm-hmm. I would put those in maybe. That yeah, was I've never crazy. actually tried those. That probably made more sense. I didn't put melons or fruits in my bra like you. But then Dr. Colleen also dives into different topics like lasers and skincare and lipo. And 
I just feel like she's just one of those doctors who makes you feel safe about anything that you're doing with her. And I feel like she's got me intrigued in so many more treatments just because I loved the way that she put things. Yeah. And she says something really interesting about lipo that like, I'm not going to lie. It's really sparked my interest. I obviously don't need it now. Well, maybe in like a few years, if I start to like develop some stubborn fat or something that I just is bothering me, then I think I would consider lipo just because of what she said. So guys, make sure you stay tuned for that because like, I'm shocked. Yeah, we are clearly intrigued and we hope this episode intrigues you guys as well. And we can't wait to get your thoughts. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get Dr. Kelly Colleen on this episode. All right, you guys, we are joined by Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on here and giving us your time today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Maybe we could start this episode off by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and telling us just a little bit about your specialty in the plastic surgery world. Sure. So my name is Dr. Kelly Colleen. I am a a plastic surgeon. I'm board certified in two areas, both general surgery and plastic surgery. And my area of expertise is in breast surgery, in particular complex breast surgery, both uh, cancer reconstructions and cosmetic surgery. So I do a lot of cancer uh, reconstructions and fixing of cancer reconstructions and also fixing of cosmetic surgery that didn't go as well as it should have. I live in Los Angeles and I have a husband, two kids, two dogs, two cats, and there's a lot of fur on me usually. (laughs) Great. Me too. (laughs) Well, let's just dive straight into all things breast implants. So like what kind of breast implants do you prefer to use on your clients? You know, I always present all of the options to my patients. And I would say 99.99% of patients choose silicone implants. And that's mostly because they just feel and look more natural and more like breast tissue. So for patients that have um, breast implants used, that's usually what they choose. I do occasionally have a patient who wants saline implants, but it's pretty rare in my practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, our listeners are mostly in their twenties and thirties. And I know breast implants is a big topic of conversation in all decades of life, I feel, but maybe you can give us some important information and give our listeners some information about things that everyone needs to know if they're considering a boob job, breast implants, if they want to do any type of big surgery like this, what should we know? What should we look out for? All kinds of things like this. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, I think young women have a little bit of a different decision tree than older women do. So breast augmentations are awesome. I had my first breast augmentation when I was 21 years old and uh, have not regretted it at all. I've had a revision about 10 years later or a replacement of my implants, I should say, which is what you should do. What I found with patients that I see that come back in for revisions and for uh, fixing of complicated problems, one of the biggest issues is, is people just aren't educated with what to expect with implants and how to maintain them. So as with most things with young people, if they're feeling fine, they don't come in for checkups. And you just really need to remember that once you have surgery and you have implants placed, these are not meant to be a lifetime device. This is something that needs maintenance, both replacement at some point, And also you need to see someone and be examined because we're often better at picking up subtle things that are changing than you are as the patient, because you see the tiny change every day and you may not even notice that something strange is happening. So implants require replacement because they're soft. And even if you don't see them, there's ripples or little sunken areas around the edges. 
And with years of rubbing, you get a weak area and then the implant can rupture. If you have saline implants, that means you wake up and your breast is flat, which is really a nuisance and nobody wants that. And if it's silicone implants, you may not know they rupture until you start having symptoms. Women can have pain and all kinds of kooky autoimmune symptoms, as well as get hardening of the breast. So you, you know, you just really need to remember this is, this is something you need to maintain, just like you would maintain anything else you have in life. You need to maintain your health. I don't know if you've ever seen the real house was Beverly Hills, but the Yolanda Hadid was on it. And I remember it was her breast implants that ruptured, I think. And it like spread all the way through her chest and like blocked all her lymph nodes and like made her really sick. Is that like very common or is it kind of a rare no, thing to happen? It's, it's not. And, and I think most plastic surgeons would tell you that the, the, the situation with Yolanda Hadid and, and a lot of the information that she put out there is just mm. very incorrect and, and misrepresenting what probably was actually happening. I'm not her doctor, so I don't want to comment on anything specifically with her, but The older silicone implants were much more problematic when they ruptured. They're always problematic when they rupture, but the older ones, the internal silicone was like a thinner, like a caro syrup gel type thing. And so your immune system would absorb the silicone and you could get hard, painful masses all over your breast. You can get silicone in your lymph nodes, in your armpit, and it could travel. The current generation of implants are much hardier. And when they rupture, they have less of a tendency to do this, which is great. They're not perfect. And they're certainly problematic if they rupture, but Yolanda was down a pseudoscience rabbit hole for a variety of different medical conditions. I watched the real housewives of Beverly Hills too. So I know all about it. (laughs) And I know this is going to upset some people, but there's a lot of misinformation that was spread from her personally and from the doctors that cared for her. And I think it's really unfortunate because spreading misinformation and not studying diseases just is, is bad for women. It, it just preys upon women that are actually suffering and takes money from them with bogus cures and treatments and doesn't get to the bottom of what's actually happening. Wow. And I think, you know, breast implant illness is a real thing. And I think that the, the way to solve problems is by studying them yeah. and when these people have super secret information, they hide and you can only acquire with the bargain price of $30,000 and a surgery and detox from them personally, you have to start going, uh, is this person really my advocate or are they preying on me? And I think that the latter is true. There is a big trend of transparency on social media in regards to something called breast implant illness. So can you tell us a bit about breast implant illness and like how this happens? Absolutely. So Many, many years ago, women started coming to their physicians and saying, I don't feel right. Since I had my breast implants, things don't seem right. And unfortunately for them, a lot of physicians at the time said, you're crazy. Go get a boyfriend. You're depressed. And, you know, the typical things that men in particular say to women when we bring concerns to them. And these women were not treated properly. They were ignored. And with the advent of the internet and social media, they banded together in support groups. And these support groups have allowed women with similar symptoms to to get together and to not feel crazy and to know that there's other people that have something going on as well. The unfortunate thing about these support groups is that they, since they've been so mistreated by doctors in the past, they're very distrustful of doctors and they have created a, a kind of a 
a vortex of misinformation. And it's been pretty difficult for those of us that care about them and want to help them and take care of them to really study these and figure out how to make them better. So what, what we're dealing with is that we have women that develop all kinds of strange symptoms after they get breast implants. And we really don't have a good understanding why. Most of us that take care of breast implant illness patients, we think there's probably two distinct populations within this group. There are probably people that are sensitive to foreign bodies and their system doesn't do well with implants, probably of any type, to be honest. And then there's probably a population of women that the chronic inflammation of a biofilm or a low-grade infection around an implant sets their immune system on fire. And there's lots of studies that show that biofilms happen in people with no symptoms with breast implants, but that doesn't mean you as an individual are someone who reacts well to this. So there's lots of ongoing studies right now to try to figure out if there's commonalities within the breast implant illness world. It's, it's problematic because the patients are also different. They don't present the same. They have very different symptoms, which makes it complicated for doctors to narrow in on what's actually happening. We're trying though, we're working on it. And do patients find that when they do remove the implants, life goes back to normal, they don't see their symptoms anymore, or maybe it's something that is ongoing even after? It, it, some do and some don't. So, um, you know, there's, there's actually some studies that I've seen a little bit of the, or heard a little bit of the preprint data that are going to be uh, published in the next couple of years, but some do and some don't. And so what we're trying to do is figure out who gets better and what is a characteristic about them that's different? Because ideally what we would love to do in the future is if you come in for a breast augmentation consult, I can do some kind of testing on you and say, hey, this isn't a good idea for you because you in particular probably won't do well with this. But the reality is, is most women do well with breast implants, regardless of what anyone says on the internet. I'm a plastic surgeon. I do primarily breast surgery. It is exceedingly rare for patients to have horrible symptoms from their breast implants. So the reality is breast implants are great. So we don't want to take them off the market and, and take that away from all of the millions of women who have great experiences like me personally. But what we do need to do is take women seriously when they come to us and say, there is a problem. And I think it's this, I think we, we're, we really need to do our due diligence and, and find out if it really is that. And if it is that, how do we not let it happen in the future? So that's what we're working on right now, but it's going to take a while to regain trust with a big group of women who felt like they were not trusted and, and they weren't believed. And I think like anything, unfortunately, people prey on vulnerable populations and these women are preyed upon by doctors that have magic cures. It's really unfortunate because people are suffering and this is what happens. There's people vulnerable. There's always an opportunist that's going to try to get money from them. Right. Well, in terms of finding the right doctor, like you said, so I'm not sure if you feel this, but of course, us New Yorkers always are going back and forth between like, is New York better? Is LA better? Like who, which lifestyle suits you better? And I feel like in terms of boob jobs, just from what I've heard through the grapevine, people are commonly saying that the best boob jobs are in LA versus New York. (laughs) I hear this all the time. Is this like a common stereotype? Do you believe this is true and there's merit behind it? What is this all about? I'll, I'll tell you the honest truth. And this is probably not a very sexy answer is there's lots of great plastic surgeons all over the country. You're going to get a great result from, I think that the meccas of plastic surgery are going to be New York and Los Angeles. That's just, that's just the truth. And 
that attracts a certain type of surgeon that is someone who pushes boundaries and, and you have to be at the top of your game. When I, when I lived in Wichita, Kansas, I was one of like seven plastic surgeons in most of the state. I have more than seven plastic surgeons on this floor in my building. There's 90 on staff at Cedar sinai Like you just, you have to be performing at a certain level, but yeah, you can get great work in LA. You can get great work in New York. The look is going to be very different depending on what kind of regional wants are. Like people don't like big implants anymore in Los Angeles. And so you're just not going to see that here. But if you go to some other cities, you might see lots of big implants and depending on your aesthetic, that might look better to you. So, you know, you, you pick someone who listens to what you want and you think they get your vibe and they're going to take good care of you. Yeah. Well, something I want to talk about, cause I've never tried it, but I'm really curious at the moment because I do want to try it is lasers. So yeah. can we get into lasers and what are some of the most popular lasers for the skin and how can they benefit the face in particular? Absolutely. I love lasers. Um, I think lasers get you a great consistent improvement in your skin. And there's lots of different options from you know, for people like you that are young and beautiful, and you just want to do a little rejuvenation and give your skin a a pump up um, to people who really have significant problems that have baked in the sun for years. So I think in Los Angeles, the most popular laser treatment is probably clear and brilliant. Clear and brilliant is a fractionated non-ablative laser. It's been around for a while and it's popular because it's a good price point. It's effective And you can do it on anyone. Pretty much anybody of any skin type can do this laser and get a great result. And you're basically just going to get some just soft skin improvement. So you just look pretty and your skin glows and your fine lines and wrinkles are better and your age spots will fade. You have to do more treatments with it because it's a little more light, but it gets you back to looking normal in just a handful of days versus weeks. Okay. So then the clear and brilliant, I also see Lutronic and Fraxel. So do you have a favorite yourself? No, I try not to have a favorite company because they're all kind of the same, you know, a fractionated non-ablative laser in a certain wavelength. It's like tomato, tomato with different companies. So Fraxel is like clear and brilliant, a little bit more aggressive. It's similar to resurfix. There's a lot of different brand names out there. I I think anyone who tells you their brand name of whatever laser is better, it's just silly. It's not, they're all, they're all similar. Pick a practitioner that you think is skilled. They're not just selling you the one laser they have. They have various options and they're really catering to you and your particular desires and your skin type and not just I have a hammer. So I hit you with a hammer. They have a lot of tools in their chest. Um, like right. we, we used to have Fraxel, we have resurfix now, and they're very similar lasers in results. They're done a little bit differently. One stamping one's rolling. I see no difference in them, but a fractionated non-ablative laser is great. I think everybody, once you get past about 30 benefits from these things here and there, just to add a little collagen back to your skin and get rid of some of the sun damage that we all suffer in our youth. So you don't think that people should start lasers until maybe their thirties, maybe it's too much for you know, 20s. It just depends on what your skin looks like. You know, sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, I saw a girl the other day for Botox who didn't have a wrinkle on her face. She was in her late twenties. And, you know, to me, it's like, what are you doing? You're just throwing hundreds and hundreds of dollars away when you don't really need the treatment, you know? And then I also have, I had a girl who was 17, who just with not even moving her face had deep lines across her forehead. So that's someone who you would do Botox young. And I know people are gonna be like, she's 17, but she has a problem at rest 
And you, you have to cater your answer depending on what you see in front of you. And I've lasered many women in their 20s, especially people that tan. If you tan when you are younger and you have lots of sun damage, go for it. Do it in your early 20s. But if you've behaved yourself and you've taken good care of your skin, which luckily a lot of the younger generation is, you probably don't need to start this till your 30s. Yeah. Well, I know Kylie had a laser treatment done and she was a bit shocked by the healing process and like how dry her skin became. So like, are there any tips for the downtime and the healing process? And is there any ways to like kind of speed up the healing or anything like that? Absolutely. There's lots of ways to do it. So patients often don't want to pay for the extras with laser and they want to use whatever skincare they have at home. You can't do this. You need to buy the proper things so that your skin skin heals faster and better. So ask your practitioner what products they recommend to heal your skin faster. Another option is putting PRP over the skin after laser. This will help heal your skin faster too. There's red light therapies, which can really help improve your overall healing and your skin quality in general. Um, and eat right, do everything right. Stay out of the sun. Don't smoke, don't vape, take good care of your skin. You know, if you are going to invest in something expensive, like a laser, invest in the recovery from the laser too, and invest in prolonging your results. It's really important. So on average, like how much does a laser treatment cost? So in general, lasers start anywhere from about 450 to $500 for the lower kind of uh, IPL is typically about that price. Isn't a true laser, but we usually call it a laser and things like clear and brilliant lasers for your face can go upwards of five, $6,000, depending on what you Mm -hmm. do. If you do like an ablative laser, think of like an older lady with deep wrinkles who just really needs something aggressive. That's going to be five, six, $7,000 and even require anesthesia. So it's even more expensive if you're requiring something something to keep you asleep. Well, you mentioned sun damage and we know that you are a melanoma survivor. So I was wondering if we could dive into this topic and maybe you could tell us what you feel are truly the most important areas of our body that we need to protect from the sun. Absolutely. I mean, the answer is anything that's showing, but I'll tell you what I see in my practice People are typically, especially nowadays, very good at protecting their faces. We have all learned that our face is going to be younger looking longer if we protect it from the sun. The places that I think are tells in people as they age are going to be your neck, your ears, interestingly enough, as well as your arms. I think that those are the areas that people just ignore. They pay attention to their face. And then you're going to see ladies running around with a ruddy spotty neck arms and kind of strange ruddy ears with like a very fair kind of flawless face. These are tells that you've either done something weird or you haven't taken good care of your skin like you should. So I think, you know, sunblock's a little bit of an acquired taste. It has a funny texture. It has a funny smell. It takes a while finding one that works with your other makeup and skincare products. But once you find it, just use it every day because when things are habits, they're habits and you're more likely to do it. So even if you're wearing long sleeve shirt, put your sunblock on your arms, you know, just make it a habit. So it's a daily thing. Love that. Well, do you believe like there's one type of sunscreen that is better to buy over the others? Like, for example, would you go for a mineral over a chemical or like, is there a certain SPF level that you usually go for? Like I have started using SPF 50 on my face now and I can't go back from that anymore. Like I have to have 50, otherwise I don't feel like I'm protected at all. 
Yeah, I mean, in theory, anything over 30 are just going to be marginal improvements in sun protection. So minimum 30. Um, I think I wear 50 on my body and my face. I'm just like you. I think it makes sense. Um, I think what you're asking, and and this is what I get asked a lot about, is chemical versus mineral sunblocks. So chemical sunblocks reflect the sun rays, minerals absorb them. And so minerals... um, you, you don't have an increase in the levels of these ingredients in your bloodstream when you wear mineral sunblocks. Mineral sunblocks, for that reason, are preferred by a lot of people. Now, the sunblocks that have absorption of these chemical agents, although you see bumps of them in your bloodstream, there isn't data that it does anything bad. You know, people will tell you they're endocrine disruptors, but there's not human evidence that that's true. And in very, very high doses in animals, it does, but that's not what's happening in people. So I feel safe using chemical sunblocks on myself and my family, but if you don't use the mineral ones, the one problem that people have with the mineral ones is they're not always person of color friendly. They tend to be chalky and light colored in texture and appearance. And they also have pretty significant flashback, which means that if you are being photographed or filmed and there's flash photography, that's where you see like the white ghost face. We are, James Charles is the classic example with that crazy picture of him looking white, mm-hmm. didn't have white makeup on. It's just flashback from the powder that he had on his face. You get the same thing from your sunblock sometimes. So just, you have to find out what works. There's so many on the market now. I, when people tell me they can't find one, I'm like, you're lying because there's a hundred bazillion of them out there. And there's really great ones for people of color. Now there's great tinted mineral sunblocks that are really nice. Just keep looking. You'll find one. I promise there's something out there for you. What are your personal favorite sunscreens that you use? I use primarily SkinCeuticals. That's my jam. I, we are a flagship for that skincare brand at my practice and I love their sunblocks. I find them easy to integrate into my skincare and they look great on my skin. In the past, I've used Elta MD. I had to think of the name mm-hmm. in a while. Elta is a great brand. I love Elta sunblocks. I'm not a fan of Zio. I find their sunblocks just that they're not my jam, but a lot of people love the primer sunblock from Zio. If you mm-hmm. want to move into Sephora brands, Supergoop has a bunch of great sunblocks that are reasonably priced. They're actually about the same price as SkinCeuticals. And I love the Ilia uh, tinted sunblock. I think that's a wonderful product. Have you tried the Skin Cure one? I haven't. Do you like it? I love it. It's my favorite. It's the only one that I've ever been able to use on my face that hasn't irritated my eczema. Oh, I'd love to try it. Yeah, that's yeah, it's awesome. really nice. Yeah, Mineral based SPF 50 is oh, the that's best. Great. Is it tinted or is it clear? No, no, it's white, but it absorbs really nicely. It doesn't leave any residue. That's great. Yeah. I mean, they're just getting better at making them now. I think just the push for them is so heavy. Companies are actually trying to make them better, which is great for all of us. Yeah, for sure. Well, another topic that I think we should dive into, we know that you are also an expert on liposuction. (laughs) And I think this is a topic that I feel like is maybe misunderstood and maybe people don't know about it as much, but is it true that once you get lipo and you suck, melt, whatever it is, freeze the fat out of the area that you want treated, that the fat can never form in that area again? Is this true? 
Sort of. So you have at all of our ages, you guys are a lot younger than me. We have the fat cells we have. We're not growing new fat cells. So when you gain weight, the fat cells you have get larger. So when you do liposuction, you remove some of the fat cells from that area. You don't remove all of them because that's weird. When you see bad lipo, too much has been taken out, but you remove some of the fat cells. So if you gain weight, you will still gain weight in the fat cells you have there, but it'll be proportionally less than what you did before. So if you're someone that every, you have your tummy lipoed and your lower tummy is where your fat goes, you gain three pounds. That's exactly where it goes. If you gain three pounds after liposuction, you're going to notice it going other places because there's less cells there for it to go. And so that's kind of what people describe when they say the fat moves after lipo, you can still gain weight there. It's just not as much. Okay. Wow. That's so interesting. I never knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when it comes to body treatments in general, do you feel like there is any specific like non-invasive machines that are worth the money? I know there's some like controversy around these kind of machines, like if it actually work or they make a difference, which ones do you think are the best? Yeah, this is very apropos because you may have seen Linda Evangelista all over the internet yesterday talking about her cool sculpting experience. So that's, that's probably Mm -hmm. the one most people are going to be like, oh my God, I heard it's terrible. Mm I'm not her doctor, so I don't want to comment on her personal, but so uh, these fat reduction machines, what they do is they deliver some sort of energy or do something that translates through your skin into the fatty cells to kill them. So it's either with heat, with a bile acid, with an injectable or with cold. Once the cells are dead, your body is going to break them up and absorb them. And then they go away permanently. All of them are great options in the right patient. You know, it's important you see someone who has, again, every tool in their belt, So if they're not just, we have a cool sculpting machine, everyone gets cool sculpted. It should be very individualized based off of your area, your size, what your goals are, all of that kind of stuff. I don't think any of them are perfect. They all have potential problems. So cool sculpting has gotten a bad rap and um, Linda Evangelista is apparently suing the company from what she wrote on Instagram yesterday because there is a rare complication called PAH that happens with cool sculpting. So The studies with cool sculpting show it kills 20% of the fat cells that end up in the machine is sucked into the little suction hand piece. And um, there's a very rare population of people that it makes their fat cells grow. So instead of an area getting smaller and shrinking after a couple months, it will get larger. And it's, this is kind of the same with any complication. It, It becomes like everybody's sister's uncle's friend's cousin's boyfriend had it done. And so they swear they know someone. And, and I'll tell you as a plastic surgeon, I've only seen one, like it's not a common thing, but it certainly happens. Linda Evangelista claims that it has permanently disfigured her and ruined her life. And she can't go out in public, which I don't have a good understanding why that would be true unless I mean, I just don't understand why that would be true. Mm-hmm. She said she's had two corrective surgeries. So if that happens to you, the corrective surgery is liposuction. So we just, I, that's what I did in the picture that I saw. Mm-hmm. She'd had it done elsewhere and I just went in and liposuctioned it and it was gone. So I don't, I don't have a good understanding how it's destroyed her life. Um, I feel very sad for her because she seems to be struggling, but at cool sculpting is not inherently evil. I'll let them hash it out in the courts, whatever happened there. But yeah, you certainly can have that complication, but it's not a common thing. Um, the, the main problem with all of these non-invasives, they're great. They tend to be less expensive, but they're not a slam dunk. So if you have saddlebags and you want me to take them out, I go to the OR and they're gone. 
because I'm in control of what I remove. With cool sculpting or liposonics or what are the other ones, sculpture, and there's, I mean, there's a million of them out there. It's a little less predictable. I don't really know what I'm going to get. So you might have to do it multiple times. You might get unevenness. It may not end up as smooth as you wanted. You know, there's just, it's problematic when you don't have a surgeon in control of like directly removing it, Mm -hmm. but they're great for a lot of people. You may not be a surgical candidate. You may not want an incision on your body. You just want to kind of show up and have a procedure and leave in an hour. All of these non-invasives are great for that type of patient, especially if the area is small. If you just have a little bit of fat right here, cool sculpting, Kybella, awesome for that area. Great. Well, I want to get your take on cellulite. I've been hearing about Quo, which I think is a new thing that Mm -hmm. everyone's speaking about in terms of cellulite. So I want to get your take on what's the best way to get rid of cellulite. I wish I knew my friend, there's just no good way. And that's the honest truth. Okay. So cellulite comes from really two reasons. So it all stems from the same problems. So we have like 94% of women have cellulite. And so we have little bands that connect kind of the skin to the underlying muscle. So what happens is when your fat cells get larger and balloon out, the little bands suck in. So that's one kind of cellulite. And then the other type of cellulite is as we age, our skin becomes loose and hangs, it pulls on a little band and it sucks in. So it really depends on what your problem is. If you're a young woman and you just have some cellulite on your buns, but your skin isn't loose, then procedures to cut the bands are your best bet. Quo is a medicine that dissolves collagen. So we've used it for years in the hand for a different problem. This isn't a new medicine. It's just repurposed. The problem is, is your blood vessels are made of collagen as well. So you tend to get pretty extensive bruising from it. And that bruising can lead to um, hyperpigmentation or dark spots everywhere you were bruised, which can be pretty terrible. I have a friend right now who's dealing with that and she's eight months after her injection and has terrible hyperpigmentation. Mm -hmm. So I'm not the biggest quote fan. I know people want it to be like a magical cure, but I think that the risk of that and how the results are just kind of meh for most people, I just don't know if it's worth it. If I was personally going to do it, I would probably do Selfina. Selfina is a machine with a little blade that will cut the band. And I think you're less likely to have the, the same level of bruising and bleeding from that. So that's really kind of my preference for that type of cellulite. If you have skin laxity is the cause, um, there's not a lot of great treatments. All of this non-invasive skin tighteners, all they really do is give you about 20% tightening and then that wears off after a year or two. So um, some people get great results from them and worth a try, it bothers you. There's just no like magic bullet, which is a bummer because I think all of us would love for there to be a magic bullet. Of course. Well, a very hot topic here in the Not So Simple Life is skincare, of course. So I want to get your take on what makes a good skincare routine and give us some insights as to like what you do in the morning and in the evening. Sure. So I, I think for skincare, the, the key to getting a good regimen is figuring out what you're willing to do and go from there. So the first thing is you, you need is you need to be on a retinol and you need to be, have a good sunblock and an antioxidant. Those three things are where I start every patient. The sunblock and antioxidant are going to protect your skin from sun damage and from environmental damage. And the retinol is going to help improve your skin. So starting there is a great step. If you're able to do more, some people can, some people can't, it depends on just how much time you have and what you're willing to tolerate. I like, this is where I like adding additional things just to improve skin quality, like hyaluronic serums, 
things that add ceramides back to the skin. And also I love improving your chemical exfoliant, like a glycolic. I think that glycolic in particular is an old, but goody mm-hmm. and it is what helps your skin glow and be pretty. And so I love adding that in with people as well. Now I am fair and I don't have a lot of pigment damage, so I don't use pigment regulating medicines, but if you do, if your skin is darker, especially cause that's how they manifest uh, darker skin, sun damage put yourself on some kind of um, serum that helps minimize pigment formation because that will help keep your skin clearer and you'll have less discoloration. Right. So I know you guys are a big fan of um, SkinCeuticals, like you mentioned earlier, which I also love as well. So SkinCeuticals makes one of their most well-known serums, the CE Ferulic. And what makes a brand like SkinCeuticals vitamin C serum that much greater than maybe just an over-the-counter drugstore vitamin C serum? So I I think the one thing you're going to see about drugstore products in general is you're just going to have lower percentages of actives and you're not going to have research on that product. So, you know, the main thing I love about the medical grade products is that they have higher levels of actives. So you just have a a better chance of it actually doing what it's supposed to do, but they've also had studies done on that product in that formulation. So a lot of drugstore products will say, Hey, look at this study. It says vitamin A is great, but it's not on their product, their formulation or their percentage. So I think that the the medical grade stuff's not that expensive. It's actually cheaper than a lot of what you'll see in Sephora. It's worth spending money on things, you know, are going to work. So what you get from buying a CE Ferulic versus drunk elephant is decades of research on that particular product. Why, why would you not choose that? I mean, put your money where it makes sense. We always ask our guests this question. We want to know what are three products or gadgets, and it can be anything that you can't live without. Well, that's a good, a good question. So I think Probably my number one product that I can't live without right now. I'm, I'm really into my AOX eye gel these days. So it's an antioxidant eye gel that has caffeine and helps with puffiness around my eyes. And I feel like it's just magic with making me look awake in the morning when I'm feeling tired. So that's probably product number one. Um, my glycolic 10 renew overnight from SkinCeuticals, I feel like is what gives me that kind of my skin is young, dewy glow. So that would be my second choice. And then my third choice is, it's going to be a toss up between two. Okay. I love triple lipid. Um, triple lipid is my jam. It's like, if my skin needs something, triple lipid solves it. It's just the best. That's, that's probably my top three right now. Amazing. Well, before we wrap up this interview, if you could let our listeners know where they can find you, where your practice is located, your social media handles, all of the good things. Absolutely. So my practice is located in Beverly Hills on Bedford and we're on the ground floor right behind Anastasia, the very famous brow studio. You can find me on Instagram at K-L-K-I-L-L-E-E-N-K-L-Killeen. And um, I'd love to see you there or feel free to email me through my website, drkaleen.com. Thank you so much, Kelly. This has been so insightful and we really appreciate you being here with us. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. You guys know what time it is. It is our Q&A section. We have two amazing questions here for you sent in by our lovely listeners. And let's just get straight into it. The first one is what face wash are you currently using? So Hmm. the one that I've been using for a while now is the one from Luzerne, which is spelled L-U-Z-E-R-N. 
I think it's a Swiss brand and it's a gel cleanser and it's really nice. It's oil free and it's just very gentle. So I love to use that one. And then I also use micellar water just to take my makeup off and get that like extra cleanse. What about you? Yep. I take my makeup off with micellar water first by Bioderma and then face wash. I am so into oil cleansers right now. I feel like it's gentle and leaves my skin feeling hydrated while also getting off all of the extra gunk from the day. So I'm loving Talora's oil cleanser and I'm loving Agent Natur's face oil cleanser. So those are my go-to at the moment. I like to mix it up, but right now I am so here for the oil cleansers. I feel like everyone needs to try it. It's like so soothing and amazing. That's funny because mine's like specifically oil-free. So it just shows you guys different skin types need different things. That's right. Number two, if you could only use one brand of skincare for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Oh my God, don't do this Mm. to me. I feel like Sophie, I already know her answer. She's going to have one brand that she loves. I love to mix it up. So this is like a really tough one for me, but I would probably go with something medical grade. Dr. Kelly Colleen mentioned it in this episode, SkinCeuticals. I love their vitamin C. I love their triple lipid moisturizer. Kelly Colleen says that the sunscreen's amazing. I'm sure their face wash and their hyaluronic is great. So I would go with SkinCeuticals. Well, I think you know what I'm going to go for. I mean, if I'm talking about all kinds of different skincare products like serums and moisturizers then I would go for drunk elephant just because I know that agrees <laughs> with my skin but I don't know like my favorite product so far that I never want to give away is my SPF from skincare so I couldn't live without that one so I don't know it's a toss-up between skincare or drunk elephant yeah but drunk elephant has everything so I yeah. feel like that's probably the safer bet but see this is the problem this is a hard question but a good question you put us on the spot and I love it But all right, you guys, thanks again for listening to another episode. We love our listeners and are so appreciative of you guys tuning in. If you have not left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would be so appreciative. It's the best way to support the show. And if you want to get caught up with everything when you're not listening to the show, then find us on our Instagram page at the Not So Simple Life Podcast. We are both on there every day. So if you have any questions at all, then reach out to us on there and we'll be happy to answer. And until then, we will see you guys next Tuesday with our brand new episode.